Well, go ahead and grab a seat and open to the book of Titus if you're not already there. And uh, we're in chapter 1 and last time we were together we looked at verse 1 and looked at the life of the Apostle Paul and uh, we noticed as we saw the book of Titus this is a place that had been reached the island of Crete that was not mentioned in the book of Acts. And so we learned through the book of Titus that there was much more than happened than is revealed in the book of Acts. That, uh, you know, we'll get to heaven and get to see the full completed version there. But uh, we, we realized that there were many churches started, many people saved, many believers that came to Christ that in the short record of the book of Acts was not yet necessarily mentioned in totality. And so this is a third pastoral epistle, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. Timothy is called the son in the faith. Titus is called the son in the faith. And these sons in the faith, Paul, as before he went to prison, set them now as pastors over churches. Timothy and Ephesus and Titus on the island of Crete, which we're going to learn much more about in the coming weeks. And um, this is... These are the three records, if you would, on how we are to run the church, God's desire and how the church would function. So they're very, very important books. If we do the dating, it puts this right around, uh, written between 64 and 67 AD. And last time we ended there in verse one, it says, to the acknowledgement of the truth which accords with godliness. And the point we drove home was that right doctrine brings about right living, Wrong doctrine brings about wrong living. What we truly believe, we do. We live, okay, uh, without exception, <laughs> you know. So, I mean, you believe that drinking bleach is not a good idea. And guess what? You don't drink bleach because you really believe it would poison you, okay. What you believe is what you live, and whether that's staying on your side of the road when you drive or whether that's uh, you need to slow down when you see a cop car in your rearview mirror or whatever it is, you, you are consistent with how you live. And what you believe is what you live. And, and of course, no matter how hard somebody tries as a, they're in a cult, they're in a false religion, if they have false doctrine, they can try as hard as they want and they're never gonna produce a right living. They're never going to see a a godly living because they don't have the godly doctrine. And so we have the doctrine of the knowledge of the truth which causes us to live in a good godly life. And then in verse 2, he says, and in hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised before time began. When we see the word hope in the New Testament, the Greek word is not like we have in our English, oh, I hope that happens. It's actually a certainty. It is going to happen. I'm 100% confident that's gonna happen. And when it happens, it's gonna be an amazing experience. So we have the hope, the absolute certainty that this is gonna happen. And that is so important for us to have that 
future confidence, that future certainty of what's going to happen. And so in this case, he says, we're getting the right doctrine. Today, we're preaching the word, teaching the word through pastors and teachers and prophets and evangelists, the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry till we all come to the knowledge of the Son of God, to the unity of faith. So tonight, you're being washed in the word and and. You know, some things are going to stick. Some things are sort of filed away for future uh, information, you know. Uh, But God's feeding all of us at the level we're at. And that information is going to go in and you're going to assimilate it. And like I said, some of it will collect in your mind and some of it will just go straight to your heart. But either way, it's in your life and God's going to use it and continue to use it to feed you and to grow you as you come in accordance with a godliness. And now that we're living a godly life, no matter how hard things get, and if you're living a godly life, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, if there's no resurrection from the dead, I'm going to quit living a godly life. I'm going to go eat, drink, and marry because tomorrow I die. He, he, he plain out said, if there is no resurrection, it does, it's not worth living a godly life. But there is a resurrection. There is an eternal life that Christ offers. And so we have that hope. Remember in 1 Corinthians 13, faith, hope, and love. These three. The greatest is love. But hope is the second on the list. It's it's an important, important aspect to our life. The Bible tells us that if we fix our hope on the revelation to be brought, Jesus Christ, it says, in First Peter, that it will purify us. First John 3, little children, I don't know what it will be like, but I know that when we see him, we'll be like him, and those who think on these things will purify themselves, even as he is pure. That we need to put our focus on heaven, we need to put our, our focus on our new body in eternity. God's given us so much information about heaven. He's given us so much information about what's to come that the whole point of it is to give us a hope, a certainty in our hearts that would keep us going through the the difficult times that we go through. It's interesting in the NIV version, uh, this word hope is actually translated faith. Um, And in the New Living Translation, it actually translates it, what I think is probably the most accurate way, a confidence. This is the confident of that we have of eternal life, but it's not just a confident, but I'd say almost be better translated a confident hope. A confident hope of eternal life. And again, that hope continues to give us a purity. This same word, ellipsis in the Greek, E-L-P-I-S, is actually translated a few times uh, in the New Testament as faith. For example, in Hebrews 10, 23, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. It's actually the same word in Titus chapter one, verse two. That's translated hope. So this is the faith that we have. That acknowledgement of the truth, a true doctrine brings about a godly living. And now we're living in the godly living. We have the confidence of an abundant entry in Second Peter 1, it talks about as we continue to grow in the faith, we have this confidence of an abundant entry at the day of the Lord. And so this is, again, the idea. We have an abundance 
in our heart, that eternal life. And of course, we're constantly reminded that life is short. Life is incredibly short. God's not promised anybody 100 years on this earth, or to everybody. I mean, some people live a day, some people a week, some people a year, some people 10 years, some people 15 years. God's, God's not ripping anybody off. <laughs> if he gives us one second to live, it's more than we deserve. But even if you did live to be 100, it's gonna seem like a vapor of time. You're not gonna live 100 years going, wow, I've lived three lifetimes, man, I'm ready to get out of here. I've been next to people in their upper 90s who are dying, and they absolutely feel like they have another 20 years to live. And they're just amazed that they're dying. It's like, dude, you're 97, you know? Um, that's what you're thinking, but it's like, he's just like, man, pray for me. I'm, I'm fighting this, man. I, I, I got, I'm ripped off if I die. I mean, that's basically their thoughts. So again, um, we need to understand that our life on earth is a vapor at the best. And our hope is in eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised before time began. Again, when we talk about eternal life, we're not talking about just a length of time, because even hell is a length of time. We're talking about a quality of life, and that quality is a completeness in Christ. And that can happen now. Even while we're in this body, we can have an eternal weightiness about our life, eternal quality and you've, you've lived long enough, most of you, to see there's different qualities of human beings on this planet. Some people are, are just shallow. You talk to them in one minute, you know everything they know. <laughs> Some people, you talk to them hours and you realize, man, I haven't even began to scratch the surface of what this person is in essence and what they know. And when somebody has eternity in their hearts... They become a person focused on the things of God and, and God becomes rich in their life. And the time they have in the word and in prayer and then that spills over into fellowship and when you're with these people, they, they just so edify you because you're like, man, this guy is just, his cup is so overflowing. There is a reality in his life with Jesus. There's a reality in his life, he's been in the word and you can tell it. You know, I love that passage in Acts where it said they saw the apostles were uneducated and unlearned men, but they couldn't escape the fact that they had been with Jesus. And, and, and I love that saying. They, it was obvious even to these Pharisees who wanted to shut these apostles up that these guys, there was a quality about them the same quality that was about Jesus. As a matter of fact, they even accused him of that. You're, you're, you, know, you sound just like Jesus. What's your problem, you know? And they're just like, man, that's, that's a great compliment. Thank you. And then we get to Acts 11, and like, you're a bunch of Christians. You're a bunch of little Christ. You, you just like that guy. You sound like him. And it's like, man, that's, that's the word we want to be, to have that eternal weightiness about our life. And so we have the hope of the duration of time, sure, of eternal life, the place of eternal life, heaven, the, the body of eternal life, a brand new body with no pain, no sorrow, no suffering, 
the, the reality of being face to face with Jesus in heaven, a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem. I mean, all those things should just one upon another be great comforting things that bring us hope. It's like whatever's going on earth, you know, I'm soon gonna be with Christ. Whatever's going on with our body, we're gonna be with Christ. Whatever's going on with our finances, we have riches in heaven that, that our, our focus would be eternal life in Christ now and of course all the various aspects of eternity with the Lord. All those things, the hope of eternal life, which God. Which God, and if you would skip over who cannot lie, promise. So he's saying that this hope of eternal life, which God has promised to us, that we've received over and over again this um, anticipation because God has given us this anticipation. We, we have this hope because God repeatedly gave us that hope. For example, in John 3.16, for God, okay? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting life. For God, he loved us, he gave his son. For God, it was his desire that we would have everlasting life. In 1 John 2.25, for this is the promise that he has promised us. What is it? Eternal life. In 1 John 5.11, for this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life and the life is in his son. He who has a son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have, what? Eternal life. That you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And so it's God's intention to put this deep hope in our hearts for eternal life. How do we receive it? Through his Son. We have eternal life by coming into a relationship with his Son. In John 6, 37, it says this. All that the Father gives me comes to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up on the last day. Now listen to verse 40. This is the will of him who sent me. So this is the will of the Father, Jesus is saying, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have, here it is, everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. It's God the Father's desire that we would know the Son, that we would receive the life, that is the eternal life, and that we would have a confidence that God has promised this eternal life to us through his son. He's given it to a, a guarantee by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 1, verse 20, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him, amen, to the glory of God. Now he who establishes us with you is Christ and anointed us is God who also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. So God has 
put his Holy Spirit into our life to help us to have the hope of the promise of the Father through the Son to continue to know that this is a guaranteed reality. Ephesians 1, verse 13. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. And so until it becomes a reality, until we are out of this body, face to face with the Lord, God's Holy Spirit has been placed in our life to continue to give us the hope of the promise of the Father received through the Son, eternal life. And this is the testimony that we have that the hope of eternal life, which God, through his Son, by the Holy Spirit, has promised and continued promise. And, by the way, about our God, he says in Titus 1-2, he can't lie. It's with, it is impossible for God to have any falsehood, any deception in him, because of his nature is pure. So God cannot lie. It is outside his nature to do so. In Numbers 23, 19, it says this, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do? Or has he spoken, will he not make it good? So God, who cannot lie, he cannot deceive. He wouldn't have promised something if he wasn't going to deliver on it. In 1 Samuel 15, 29. And also the strength of Israel will not lie, nor relent, for he is not a man that he should relent. And then in Hebrews six eighteen, That by two immutable things, in which it is, notice, impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for the refuge to lay a hold of the hope set before us. So he says here, it's just the immutable fact that it's impossible for God to lie and you should be able to dig your teeth into that and have a strong, deep consolation in your heart, a deep assurance in your heart that we are able to lay a hold on the future things that God said are coming our way. So we have the hope of eternal life, which God has promised. He cannot lie. And when did he give us that promise? Notice here, before time began. Literally before anything, before time's eternal, literally, before time's eternal. So before the first second ever clicked on a clock, before anything was ever created, God, when he was alone God before anything else, God had purposed in his heart eternal life for us before earth was ever spoken into existence. In Ephesians 1, 4, it says, just as he chose us in him, notice, before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 
having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved. So Christ has chosen us. We see that the promise of eternal life was given, that his choosing us to predestine us was before the foundation of the world. And then another passage, 2 Timothy 1, 9. Who has saved us and called us with his holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus again before time began, before the ages. And so we learn that God called us before time began, that God has given us a holy calling before time began, And now we learn here in Titus 1-2 that the promise of eternal life through the Son was given to us before time began. And so this is a a powerful thing when we realize that, that God is letting us know this aspect of eternity. That he knows all things from the beginning to the end. And he wants us to know that. Well, going on to Titus 1.3 here. But has in due time manifested his word through preaching, which was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. And so now we have this hope of eternal life. It's coming from God. It was promised by God, who cannot lie, before time began. But now within time... The reality of knowing of the promise of the Father through the Son, it was manifested, it was revealed to us by His Word, through the agency of His Word, predominantly through preaching. The word preaching is the word kerugma, K-E-R-U-G-M-A, which means to herald, to trumpet, So it was trumpeted, it was proclaimed. And notice what Paul says about this preaching of the word. He says, it was committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. You know, when Paul writes these things, he's not trying to say, look at me. (laughs) Point, all the arrows point at me. I'm this anointed person In time, there's nobody like me. There'll never be anybody like me again. I've got this gospel committed to me to preach that nobody else will ever have in history. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, listen to the conviction of my heart because it should also be the conviction of your heart. This is what he's been telling in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. That the proclamation that people can have the hope of eternal life, that they could know a doctrine that leads to godliness, a godliness that gives us the hope of eternal life, promised by God before time began, that this is the gospel. That that word, which is such a healing thing, a a, a penetrating thing, a, a thing that just causes us to get our eyes on the Lord and eternal life, that that's coming through a proclaiming that I have taken from the Lord. He's committed it to me and I've received it from him and said, yes, I am committing, this is committed to my trust. That we would all have that same attitude of saying, 
We've all been committed that trust. We've all been committed the word of God unto our trust. This is the commandment that God's given to each of us. In Matthew 10, verse 8, Jesus says, Freely you have received, so what? Freely give. Aren't you glad somebody preached, herald, trumpeted, however they did that? Maybe it was sitting next to you in a car. It was uh, heading to San Antonio a, a, a while back, and well, just a few weeks ago now, but there was a lady that my wife was sitting next to me and then a lady next to the window. And the whole way there, we preached the gospel to her. She couldn't go anywhere. She was on a plane. It was heralded to her in many different times, many different ways. I shared, Cheryl shared. And... Um, on the way back, she ended up getting stuck on the same plane with us. And uh, there in the airport, began to talk to her again about the things of God. And, and so how is it trumpeted to you? Well, freely you've had it trumpeted to you. Freely proclaim it. The worst they're going to do is beat you up and, you know, put you in the hospital or kill you. Don't worry about it. No big deal, Right? In 2 Timothy 4, we looked at this just a few weeks back. But in 2 Timothy 4, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead as appearing in his kingdom, as if I'm ushering you before the throne room at the day of judgment to judge your works, did you, when you were supposed to, preach the word? Are you ready to stand before God? Have I shared the word with people to come to Christ? Well, when should I do it? Notice here, be ready in season and out of season. Is there any other season? No. So when you're tired, you feel unspiritual, you feel like it's, you know, the atmosphere isn't quite right. You know, is that really the mood? Is this the right mood to preach the gospel? Well, you're out of season. Just go ahead and preach the word. And then when there's those handful of times in your life when it just, you know, everything lines up, well, then preach the word. You feel good about yourself. You got extra time. They're wanting to hear it, you know. But either way, preach the word. And and again, in 2 Corinthians uh, 2, it says, who is sufficient for these things? Who's sufficient to preach the word? None of us. It's not our perfect sermon. It's not saying it the perfect way. It's not having some little formula. But Paul says whether life unto life or death unto death, either way, us preaching the word, us proclaiming the word, it's a beautiful incense unto God. Whatever the case may be, it's a beautiful incense to the Lord. Be ready in season, out of season. Then notice the passion here. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For the time will come when it will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. As we get closer to the last days, it's going to get that much more difficult for people to hear the the truth. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Notice here, he sees preaching the word as enduring affliction. Maybe that's the way it is with you. I'm just so nervous. I'm so upset. My stomach's bothered that, you know, to think I'm going to share the Lord with this person. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. 
So to you it might be affliction. To you it might be a lot of work. But either way, for all of us, God has committed to our trust. He has put into our hands the preaching, the heralding of God's word to every single believer. Every one of us are to do that work. Every one of us are to share the Lord with our neighbors and uh, to let them know the truth. And I uh, have a Catholic nun that lives across the street from me. And over the years, I've, you know, she's like, oh, I'm so glad to have you wonderful Christians across the street. And, you know, you help me out with this and help me out. It's like, you know what? And just to tell her again, it's by faith. It's by the grace of God. And it's a gospel she's not heard, even though she's been a Catholic nun for years. It's always works and bartering with God. And, you know, oh, so-and-so needs this. Oh, I gave up coffee and, you know, I'm not gonna drink it for the next six months. I'm just gonna, you know, set that aside and ask God to, you know, touch this person's life and heal them or whatever it might be. It's always this barter system with God. And, um, and the same with salvation. It's like, well, you know, Got to get out there and pray to Mary and, uh, and, and, and get through my many, you know, sayings over and over again to get what I need from God. And it's grievous that, that they don't know, the world doesn't know this joyful thing of knowing God in prayer, knowing God in the word. So just like Paul had sensed it, we all need to sense it. This has been committed to me according to the commandment of God our Savior. Tonight, you need to leave here with that reality that it's been committed to me to preach the word in my sphere, wherever that's at, in the grocery store, at the gas station, where you work, where you live, that you would be the salt of the earth. You would be the light, like a city set on a hill that can't be hidden. The moment we became believers, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. It's not something we try to do. It's just something we are. Be yourself. Talk about the Lord. Talk about what God's spoken to your life. Don't hold back. Don't put, it says, light the candle and put a a lid over it and, and put it out. Or light a candle and stick it under the bed. But put it out where everyone can see. Be who you are. You are, if you would, a preaching machine. You are a proclaimer. That's who God has now made you to be. And he's manifesting the truths of the gospel through the word of God, through the preaching of that word. And uh, preaching is typically meant for evangelism, where the teaching is meant for the church. And so when he talks about preaching, he's talking about to those who don't know Christ. According to the commandment of God, notice our Savior. Now, this is a saying that we're going to see many times. Look in your book there in Titus, and notice there we just saw it in Titus 1.3, where he says, God is our Savior. But then notice in verse 4, he says, the Lord Jesus Christ, who? Our Savior. Titus 2.10, the very end there, God our Savior. Titus 2.13, our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here he calls Jesus Christ, our great God and our Savior is Jesus Christ. Titus 3.4, God our Savior. Titus 3.6, 
Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 43.3, it says this, For I am I the Lord, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Now, what's important about this is the word Lord there. Notice it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And if your translation has that, you know this is what's called the tetragrammaton or the YHVH or the YHWH, depending on how you transliterate that particular Hebrew letter. But this is the holy name of God that the Jews, uh, as they would write the scriptures, before they would write that name, they would go take a bath, they would put on new clothes, get a new, new uh, feather with new ink and, and then write the name, a new quill with a new ink and, and then write that name. And here it says that the Tetragrammaton, Yah or Yahweh, the Jehovah Witnesses say Jehovah. I am the Lord, Jehovah. I am Yahweh. I am Yah, however you want to enunciate that. Your God, the Holy One of Israel, is your savior. In Isaiah 45:15, truly you are God who hide yourself, O God, the savior. In Isaiah 45:21, and there is no other god besides me, a just god and a savior. There is none besides me. So as we see that God is Savior, the Lord is Savior, there is no other Savior besides God. And then we see a numerous amount of time in Titus. God is our Savior. But then the very next time, it will say Jesus Christ, our Lord, is our Savior. And so we can deduct from that that Jesus indeed is God. The Lord our God is one Lord. We have one God, but yet in three persons. The first person of the Trinity is God the Father. The second person of the Trinity is God the Son. The third person of the Trinity is God the Savior, or God the Holy Spirit. And the three make one God. Not three gods, one God, but the one God yet in Trinity. Three, one God, but then three persons. And then notice what it goes on. In the New Testament, it tells us, in Jude one twenty five, it says, "The only God, our Savior." In First Timothy four ten, the living God who is the Savior. In Luke one forty seven, and my spirit rejoiced in God, my Savior. But look in Luke two eleven. It says there the same Christmas story: a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In 2 Peter 3.18, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. In Titus again 2.13, looking to the blessed hope and the appearing and the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. And so we have been called by our Lord Jesus Christ, our God our Savior, to preach the word. Amen? Well, Lord, we do ask for boldness tonight, God. We do ask that it would go deep into our hearts, that we would realize as you commanded us in many places to preach the word, 
to be ready in season and out of season, to not stifle it, but just let it flow. Not to try to create something, but just be who we are in you. And not try to hide the fact that you are bubbling over in our lives, that our cup is full, overflowing. That what you've done in us, Lord, is to be proclaimed from us. That we would let it be known, whether it's the person in line behind us at the grocery store or the guy pumping gas next to us or to our neighbor, Lord, to to put on their doorstep a track or to put there a, a note to invite them to come to the Christmas play or whatever it is that you put on our heart, that we would not put a stifle on it, but quite the opposite, that we would proclaim the great, wonderful works of our Lord and Savior. And we lay it at your feet, Lord. Let us be a people of boldness here tonight. Let us be a people, Lord, willing to not hold back. We just ask this rest of this week, Lord, that we would not once but several times tell people about you and we'd be able to give testimony on Sunday, Lord, of how many people we've been able to just be ourselves and just tell them about the things of God. In season, out of season, whether they believe or reject it, life unto life or death unto death, that we would be to you a fragrance to you, Lord, that we would have deep in our heart that this commandment by our God and Savior has been given unto us and that we will be faithful to it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you guys and have a great day in the Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord.